everybody and welcome to podcast number 59. Today I have with me a singer-songwriter, jazz musician, comedian. He's entertained our queen and also the king and queen of Sweden. He was first signed to the same company as the Beatles, recording at the legendary Abbey Road Studios in 1967. He's the only performer ever to open for Paul McCartney and Wings. His songs have been covered by Helen Shapiro, Cilla Black, Georgie Fame. He's toured with folk legends such as Rob McTell and Fairport Convention. And once the folk clubs were taken over by comedy clubs, he performed at the comic strip alongside the likes of Rick Mayle, French and Saunders, Nigel Planer. The list goes on. He's performed at festivals in Montreal, Adelaide Fringe in Australia, Humorology in Belgium, and 18 years straight at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, performing regularly in Sweden, Germany, Austria, Holland, and in the United States, the Comedy Store, Caroline's, the Improv and Ice House. It is an absolute honour and pleasure for me today to be speaking to the legendary Earl Oaken. Welcome, Earl. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You'll get your fibre later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were born in Carlshalton, Surrey, before moving yes. to Notting Hill when you were just six years old. Yes. You held a degree in philosophy um, from uh, University of Kent in Canterbury and worked as a schoolmaster for 11 years before going full-time. You were a deputy headmaster when you were actually invited on tour by for Paul McCartney and Wings. So how does that happen? You're a deputy head of the school, and Paul McCartney comes along and says, oh, wow, come and tour with me. Well, it's slightly complicated. I, first of all, I hated teaching more and more. I could do it, but or else I wouldn't have been promoted. But oh, every year became more dreadful. Although I can, I'm pleased to have the pension now. Um, and what happened was that I was on tour with Fairport Convention and the people who sold their merchandise said, oh, you've got to meet Steve Holly. And he's a drummer and he's, he likes the same sort of music as you. People like, uh, oh, let me see who would it have been, Louis Jordan, stuff like that. Because I collect old records. And... Um, he said, oh, you know, he's just joined Wings and uh, he'll yeah, love to meet you because, you know, you like the same music. So he came around for the afternoon. We played records and everything. And at no time did I say to him, what's Paul like? <laughs> and um, um, so he, we became mates. And then he saw me perform at the, the Cambridge Folk Festival. Strange, they've never asked me back since. I don't know. Uh, and I, I went, I had it without going into details. I had an awkward moment I had to sort of deal with in front of, oh, 15, 20,000 people out there on the grass. And I got away with it and I didn't. So he saw that I wasn't sort of phased by large crowds. And to cut a long story short, when later in the year, and I'd also done a tour that year with Van Morrison, which is a whole nother story. So at the end of the year, Paul was thinking about having a support act, but he didn't want the usual young band, you know, that they all had because apart from anything else, everybody did the same thing. And secondly, they'd have to reset the whole stage. And they had lots of discussions about, oh, let's do stilt walkers, let's do jugglers. And they went, no, 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 it really went, nah. And then Steve Holly, my friend who'd seen me perform in front of this large crowd, he said, I know somebody who could do it and it'd be great. And apparently Paul said to him, well, it's the first time anybody's been like, confident about anybody, so let's try him out. So that's how I got the gig, basically. Wow. 
that's amazing, isn't it? Now you actually play the piano as well as the guitar, but how many uh, other instruments do you actually play? No, I play piano as my main instrument, and I play a bit of guitar, and that's it. Um, I, the the only other instruments I play are fake ones with my mouth, um, which I can't actually play, like the trumpet <laughs> or the clarinet. Uh, I can't really play those, but um, I sound as if I can. <laughs> and were your parents musical or was it just a case that everybody learned <coughs> every child learned piano when they were younger well my father played a little bit of guitar but not you know just enough to do a sing-along but his real talent was was comedy and he during world war ii one forgets one's father was once younger than you are now so during the war he would have been in his 20s and he was in the ref and he ran variety shows and out of his show came 60s TV comedians, um, Corporal Richard Emery <laughs> Dick and, and Corporal Harold Illingworth. Who do you think that was? That, that's Harry Worth. Oh, it was Harry Worth. Amazing yeah. fan of Harry Worth. I loved him as a child. Well, we, we watched him on the Royal Variety Show in the late 50s. I remember my father quietly sitting in his rocking chair and saying, oh, he's still doing my material there. <laughs> <laughs> he was, I, I met him, he was a lovely man, and uh, I pulled a This Is Your Life on my parents one year when I was 17, and I found Harry Worth, and um, he came along, and uh, so I actually met him. Gosh, amazing, amazing, and so that, that's where your comedy comes from. Yeah, and the music comes, my great uncle on my mother's side was a um, singer of Leader, and he introduced me when I was five years old to Grand Opera, which I've always loved ever since. I wanted to be an opera singer. And then later on, I got over, I suppose I could have sung opera, but my voice is much more suited for jazz, which I discovered in my early teens in the figure of Duke Ellington and then Peggy Lee and people like that. So that's what I ended up doing. And then Bossa Nova, which I love from Brazil. So when you were recording at the Abbey Studios in the 60s, were you seen as a bit of a rebel by the rest of your family then? No, because my father had been in showbiz. So it was... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a long story, but I met somebody who'd known Dick James during World War II in the army. And Dick James was the Beatles publisher. So because he knew him, he was able to say, oh, and I've got this guy who's a very talented songwriter. Will you see him? And Dick liked what I did. And um, I got signed to Dick James. Isn't Unfortunately, it? my own stupid fault, I wanted to finish my degree. And um, had I not done so, but made myself available to Dick, it was the year that he formed his record label called DJM because I wasn't around. By the way, I got on really well with Dick James. All the things they say about him being horrible is complete nonsense. <laughs> but he didn't get on well and never did with Elton John, but he promised him that he would help him and he was a man of his word. And so it was Elton John that got the push and not me. Wow. When the folk club started, because you were actually started, did a lot in the folk clubs that were there. Yeah. That kind of got taken over by the comedy clubs, didn't they? Yes. And and that, But then you just went along to the comedy strip and, I mean, to... Rick Mayle and French, mm. presumably well, they were remember, all young and starting See, one has to remember that the folk clubs, people never say this, the folk club was really the cradle of what we now call alternative comedy because 
comedians in the 70s were, you know, the ones who did all the gags, you know, the uh, Irishman went into, a, you know, those sort of gags. Um, but meanwhile, there were people in folk clubs who were hilarious. There was a guy called Mick or Mike Elliott who came from Newcastle who was absolutely stunningly funny. There was a friend of mine who was part of a double act. He was quite good. His name was Billy Connolly. And there was somebody with a weird name called Jasper Carrot. They were all on the folk circuit. See, the, we were, we were categorised. There were the traddies, the ones who just sang real old folk songs. And then there were what were called the entertainers. And I was obviously one of those. Incredible. So, um, Graham, have you got anything that you actually want to ask? At my- um, yes. How do you come up with the fusion of, let's say, your guitar and comedy on stage? What? apart from, obviously from folk background, but what was it that made you say, right, this is what I want to do? Um, it wasn't what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was be a proper singer. But mm-hmm. um, I soon found out that when you perform for an audience, if you did song, all the tragedies, I did song, 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 song. Sometimes they were really good. Some wonderful guitarists, you know. But after a while, people switched off. If you could be funny in between songs or do something that was different, do a funny song and then do a straight one. Uh, the more variety and surprises you can provide them with, the more they stayed awake, if you will. Um, so that's what I began to do. Remember, I had the influence of my father, who'd run variety shows. And one of my main influences in terms of famous people, I was when I was at secondary school, we all used to listen to the wonderful records of Tom Lehrer. So he was somebody else. Um, I remember we used to write wrong words for Beatles songs, things like, I think I'm gonna be sick all over the floor, things like that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so that's how it started. And then or I, we, I wrote it, it's a long way to East Siberia, it's a long way to walk. So this is when I was at secondary school. So I had that sort of thing in my, in my quiver, if you will, mm-hmm. another arrow to, to, to use. So when I went into folk clubs, I had this sort of mixture of funny and not funny. Uh, when the folk circuit suddenly died around 1980 or so, following the uh, Wings tour, I had been spotted by Michael Parkinson and I was on his show well, 1981 I think and it was about that time that folk clubs just died they withered on the vine and almost like two weeks later there was a there was a comedy club there so I went seamlessly in from one into all I did was I took see folk clubs you had to have two half hour sets if you were the star that night and I had two I had two half hour sets so all I did was cut out the non-funny stuff, and what I had left was my comedy set. So I didn't build up from five minutes to ten minutes to like everybody else. By the time comedy started, I'd been performing for ten years already in folk clubs, so I was already, I had audience skills, if you will. Mm. Um, whereas people like Rick and, and French and Saunders were literally just starting. I remember when I played the comic strip, we had a, all those famous names. You had an audience of six people. That wasn't, they weren't famous yet. People forget <laughs> that. 
they they were going home going gosh i've been on the stage with their alone kid rob right well and nobody believes me but we had this audience of six and all the famous names were there and um nobody believes this but i actually went down best that night <laughs> <laughs> I, because I i'd been doing it for 10 years i knew how to you know and they and their stuff was you know when you think in 1981 their stuff was sort of weird now it's you know we know what it is but at the time it, it was a bit oh what are they doing you know yes. so there you go <laughs> that's how it and then i get got stuck in that circuit and i've been sort of headlining for god 50 years now no not 50 years 40 years do you, do you find that you like alternative comedy to mainstream i'm, I'm just saying do you like being to be alternative or do you like it with your own your own identity your own persona this is me and it really is you i i, I do me i can't do it i can't do stand up it's not what i do um there are some wonderful stand-ups. There are also a lot of really not very good ones. I keep listening to Radio 4 and being told that some completely unknown person is a comedian. I have no idea who they are. <laughs> and then there were some wonderful stand-ups, like I, I was did my first comedy gig for ages. Like, we all had to do half sets, you know, which is good because it's good to get your sort of feet under the table after 14 months. So amongst the people last week were, was one of my favourites called Jeff Innocent. Who seems to just wander onto stages and has a chat with you and then wanders off again as if it's the easiest thing in the world. He makes it look so easy. Another one like that is Ian Stone. Uh, and there are people like that who just make it look easy. And, you know, I mean, I saw them years ago and they've obviously improved. I, I, I Sometimes I see somebody at the beginning and I can see they've got something. And then I see them like a year later and I and they just they're the same and yet somehow they're much better and I call it rounding their corner and suddenly they do something that's different I I don't know what it is because it seems to be the same set but something improves and uh, it, you just that happens because you keep doing it and it timing or order of words sometimes the same joke but the words in a different order one gets a laugh and one doesn't. All sorts of strange things you discover. Are, are you very um, precise on your words? Exactly, you know exactly. Let's say along with the songs, as I see, I have seen you several times. We, Elaine, I've seen you many times actually. And are you very precise on the words that you use? You know, and the pause. Well, what happens is, let's imagine I've written a new funny song. Yeah. And the first few times I do it, I'll literally be ad-libbing on stage as to how I introduce it. And when something gets a laugh, I sort of make a mental note. I thought, oh, we'll do that again then. <laughs> and then maybe the next time you say something else that gets a laugh, well, that gets added on. And in the end, you end up with a sort of um, introduction, which is basically scripted. And after that, it's set in stone, and I say the same thing every time. The trick is not to make it look like you've said it for a hundred times. You've always got to make out as if you just thought of it that moment. But it starts off as ad libs, and gradually it sort of forms itself into something, and then it's set in stone. That's what I do. <laughs> do, you, do you find, let's say, having, um, let's say, Dick Emery was a, a person of many faces and sort of. Um, do you do you find you use those techniques at all? 
No, not at all. I'm always me. I'm always me. And as I say, I'm not really a comedian. I'm I'm a musician who does comedy. It's it's not quite the same thing. Uh, The thing about musical comedy, there's very few people who do it well, and none of them are used on television for some reason or other. And every sort of comedy is used except us. Because the one thing that's died on TV is variety shows. I haven't seen... I mean, they think that, um, you know, the X Factor, they're not, they're not variety shows. They're, they're amateur talent shows. That's not the same thing at all. I'm talking about, you know, a program full of proper professionals. Uh, you know, maybe a vent act, maybe a juggler, maybe whatever. It's called a variety show. You don't see that on TV anymore. It died in the 70s, even though there's some wonderful artists around. They don't put it on TV. I don't know why not, but they don't. The other thing, the other thing about doing music comedy is once you've written a song which people like, unlike stand-up, where if you've heard the same joke, you go, oh, I've heard that one. But with music, it's the opposite. If you don't do the song that they've come to hear, they get upset. Oh, you didn't do that one, they say. And I came all the way and brought my granny to hear you do that particular song. So you've got to do the same things. I mean, try and put another new one in when you can, but most of the time you they don't want it. They want to hear the ones that they heard 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it, it's, it just doesn't work the same way as, as stand-up. Um, do you, I just have curiosity, was that Steve Holly from Mott the Hoople? It could be. I don't know what else he was. I know he was in other bands, but he was certainly yeah. in Wings at that time. I, yeah, spoke I, 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 I spoke to him about two weeks ago. The other yeah. person in the band used to live in my street, Bordebella Road, for a while, and yeah. his name, Lawrence Juba. Nice. Now, Lawrence Juba was uh, a guitarist who studied at the Royal College of Music. He was not a rock and roller. He now lives in L.A., and he's like the guitarist, guitarist, and he's really a proper guitarist. He's not just a, a rock and roller, you know. The only real rock and roller in the, in the whole of Wings was Danny Lane. He, mm-hmm. he, behaved, he behaved like a rock and roller. The rest, I mean, you've got, you know, a married couple. You've got Steve Holly, who was, you know, not that sort of character. And the, I never saw him drink a lot or get, you know, stoned or anything like that. And then you had, uh, and Lawrence Juber, certainly not. Um, you know, he was a sort of serious musician, you know. So it, it, was, it was a lovely tour to do. I enjoyed it immensely. Do you find the professionalism that you had you, from your from your um, your dad and the people around you? Do you find that helped develop your career? Know that if you want to be good, you're going to have to work at it and um, structured. I really should have worked harder at it than I have. Uh, <laughs> I've sort of relied relied on my innate ability to just somehow come up with something when I like every year at Edinburgh Festival I knew that I had to write a new song or two for my show and somehow I'd think of something uh, but and if I haven't got a deadline to think of something new I tend not to and just rely on stuff that I'd have already got I've got you know if I practiced it all up I probably got something like two hours of two hours of, of comedy um, but a lot of this I mean a lot of the time I do things which I know will work on, in a 20-minute set. And I, I just do that, you know, because it's not... The chances are that the audience hasn't seen that 20 minutes anyway. 
And if they have, they probably want to hear the same things again anyway. So I often don't do this. One. I mean, a couple of fake country songs I wrote, which I very rarely do anymore. Um, one involved the story of somebody who um, went to Nashville and couldn't find a hotel and, and drove around and then found somewhere, but it turns out to be a bordello and he doesn't realise it. So, I mean, that, I, don't, I haven't done that song in years. Um, but, you know, I, I, then again, I might write a funny song. I wrote one last year based on, you know, the wonderful song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You know that one? That uh, Judy Garland sang in Meet Me in St. Louis. And I don't, somebody gave me the idea and I wrote a whole lyric which started off, Have yourself a very COVID Christmas. Make the Yuletide grim. As for Santa Claus, you won't be seeing him. So cool. So, um... <laughs> You know, well, I can't use that because it's yeah. already dated. You know, it's that's why you, when you write a comedy song, it's got to be non-topical. Mm. I wrote a song very rude about um, Tony Blair about 10, 20 years ago, but he's gone now, you know. <laughs> so what's the point? You couldn't change the names then? Or, or, well, no, or... no, it was very much about him. No, it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. something you could... You know, we write a song about Trump. Well, he's no longer president. So yeah. these things, so I'd rather write something about food or sex or something which is there the whole time. I must say, we, we saw Hank Wanford um, a couple of years he's a, ago. He's a neighbour of mine. He's a neighbour of mine. I've not heard you play any. I'm going to have to look through your catalogue now and um, see if I can find it, find some. You never heard me do what, sorry? Some country western music, of course. Because I can't stand country music. That's what I think. It's <laughs> apart from Bob Dylan and and Leonard Cohen, it's probably the worst yeah, yeah. music on earth. No, no, I don't. Yes, yeah, no, I won't. I won't. I mean, I did, I did uh, one song, just taking the piss out of it because I really don't like it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a jazz lover, you know. The, the yeah. song I always remember you doing is in my room. That's that's the yeah. That's the, well, my room is the one I start my sets with. Now, that replaced an earlier song, and everybody wanted me to sing this other one all the time. And then when I wanted to go on the radio, they said, will you only do one song? I said, you keep asking for the same one. That's why. <laughs> it was a song called Mango. You can find it on YouTube somewhere. And my room was written to replace Mango. So Apparently, be- I did it on Australian television, and that, video on YouTube has apparently had 1.2 million people watch it. Wow. The, tr- the trouble with that is they think that's what I'm all about. That's just a, a bit of what I do, you know. But you actually have written an autobiography called Earl's Court and a yeah. musical um, called yeah. Harlem Story. Is that actually going to be hitting the West End anytime soon? Uh, well, if I can find somebody who wants to put it on, yes. But I'm, I'm, it's not my world and I don't... I've had a lot of people... It's basically a sort of a sequel to Porgy and Bess. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that I've stolen from Gershwin apart from the names Porgy and Bess. Um, there's, there's, the, the music isn't stolen. The story is, takes place 20 years later and really... Is about their son, who of course doesn't exist in the original story, and it takes place around 1950. So 
as soon as you mention Porgy and Bess, everybody goes, oh, copyright, copyright, and they run away. Um, it's a shame, really, but it's, I'm, I'm very pleased because I'm, in many ways, my main talent, apart from singing, is, is songwriting rather than comedy. I've written, I don't know, getting over 200 songs. I was born on the 150th anniversary of the birth of Franz Schubert. I'm sure that's it. And I wear glasses. So, maybe... <laughs> so and also, because in your spare time while you were doing that, you also actually wrote a six-movement symphony. Yes, I, that was about oh, a couple of years ago. It was something to do, you know. I had a couple of, a couple of free weeks. And uh, I taught myself how to arrange using something called logic. And it wasn't that difficult. Um, and it, uh, it's very 19th century. I don't like modern classical music. I've got no time for that. So it's full of you know, sort of soaring romantic melodies. Wonderful. And then, of course, there's a biographical documentary, Who is Earl Oakin? Um, which has been presented at festivals and selected theatres. Your director, Joe Snelling, has already won a prize at the film and in Brooklyn, New York, and is in no negotiations with television companies. Well, so we're trying to get it on telly and we get near, but it's never quite been on yet. Um, uh, the trouble with Joe is he's really difficult to get hold of. You ring him and he doesn't answer back and he doesn't answer his phone. So it's a bit difficult sometimes. <laughs> I have a publisher. He's trying. He's, he's sort of vaguely got contacts with various people who are decision makers in various TV uh, channels and he's having a go at it, but it's, it's very difficult. It, it's, um, it's one of those things that once you get your first proper breakthrough, then of course everybody wants a piece of you. But until then, you know, my only hope now is because I reach dotage, um, I, I cease being always old I suddenly, you get to a certain decade, you become a legend. So I'm getting to that now. <laughs> so I'm going to rely on being a legend. So, Al, um, what have you got coming up? Well, during lockdown, this has nothing to do with comedy, I decided to keep on writing arrangements, and there's a recording studio just two blocks from my house. So that was my bubble. And I have finished two CDs. One is called... Uh, songs from a basement it's called that because I thought the Beatles named their LP after their recording studio I could name mine after mine and it's in the basement um, so the next one was called jazz from a basement and I think they're both on Spotify and Apple and then some of the tracks may even be on YouTube somebody in Denmark does that sort of thing for you and it's all up there now what on one of the on one of the uh, CDs, I noticed that one of my favourite films, which is called High Society, mm. which stars some obscure film stars called, oh, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra and Louis Armstrong. Um, nobody seemed to have sort of copied those songs and, you know, recorded them apart from the originals. And I thought, it's time for Earl Oaken to do these. So... I've recorded I Love You, Samantha, Mind If I Make Love to You, mm -hmm. You're Sensational, and a little song that Bing Crosby sings to a little girl, which is called Little One. And they're all on one of those CDs. Um, Cole Porter, you can't go wrong with Cole Porter. So that's what I've been doing um, for the last 18 months. Wonderful. So listeners, get onto Spotify and YouTube and look him up and have a listen. 
and I'm, I'm, if you happen to be an international agent or manager, I am available. <laughs> he is available. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be really rich and famous now. Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> well, it's something to do. It's something to do in the evening, isn't it? The thing is, I live alone, and I, you know, I like to go out sometimes, so it gives me something to do. <laughs> and, and on that note, um, I'm going to switch. Bing. <laughs> anyway, Al, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, and really marvelous. And hopefully, we will be able to see the documentary soon on television, and your show, and the West End. Um, so thank you very much thank you very much listeners for tuning in um that's been absolutely wonderful thank you bye thank you this has been a podcast recording for a whole lot of comedy